the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It is a special privilege and a high honor to welcome into the studio, first time in our studios, I believe, our state treasurer, Kimberly Yee. Kimberly and I, if I may, were at a dinner a couple of weeks ago, and we were seated next to one another, and we just started talking about her background. And I knew a little bit about you. I had seen you give some speeches around town. We've been in some of the same rooms together. I didn't know your whole family background, nor all the things that you are doing from your your perch as the treasurer, state treasurer of Arizona. I thought the audience would just love it. And so thanks for coming in to do that with us. My pleasure. It was uh, such a treat to sit next to you and and share stories. But thank you so much for this invitation today. You betcha. You betcha. Um, Kimberly, your family story here. I just loved it. It's such a great story. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your family coming to Arizona and how you grew up and that sort of thing? Yes. Well, back in the 1930s, my grandparents chose Arizona uh, to build their family and their business. And they opened a little grocery store in South Phoenix on the corner of 7th Avenue and Buckeye Road. And it was wonderful because as my grandparents were choosing the name of the grocery store, they came upon New State Market. New State Market. (laughs) And It was really because Arizona was really a new state even back in the 1930s. Uh, But it was also a new state for them where they could build their family, have new opportunities, the freedoms that we have in this great country. And so they raised nine children in the little house, three-bedroom home, one bathroom next door to the grocery store. And these nine children all worked in the store. They stocked the store shelves before they went to school. They worked the cash register even when they came back from school. It was a family business. And we know family businesses work very, very hard day and night. And so as the the family would close the store every night, it was 10 p.m. at night. That's when the little kids were able to go out and play like children do in the parking lot. And so really that was the story that really has resonated not only with so many families I talk to, because so many family businesses do have this hard work and dedication, this work ethic to build that success story. And on the other side of the country, my father was born and raised in Pittsburgh, uh-huh. Pennsylvania, in a little hand laundry business. Uh-huh. And when I say hand laundry business, it really was a hand laundry run business back in the 1930s. Uh-huh. And heart of the business district, downtown, same story. You open up your doors bright and early, and you work entirely um, the entire day. My father, the eldest of the sons, was nine years old on his knees sorting dirty laundry, one piece from another. Can you imagine doing this your whole childhood? And at nine years old, you're starting to get your own independent voice. So he said to my grandfather, what if I don't want to do this my whole life? Yeah. And my grandfather said to him, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. 
We live in the United States of America, the greatest country in the entire world. You can do anything you want to in this great country. And that story has stayed with me all of these years. My grandparents moved to Arizona upon their retirement, and I had the blessing of living with them. Um, Because in Asian American cultures, the eldest son takes care of the parents when they get older. And so my grandfather and I were able to share a lot of time together. And one of our favorite treats was to watch the Republican National (laughs) Convention every four years, faithfully. And as a little girl... I was watching my grandfather take pictures with our family camera of the screen of the speakers because he was so inspired by what they were saying. And as a little girl, I didn't understand the content of the speeches. I was so young. But I understood that the red, white, and blue balloons that were coming down from the ceiling at the end of every major speech was a celebration of freedom. And my family celebrated that. Um, So fast forward, when I was in the state Senate, I was asked to stand on the stage of the Republican National Convention in 2016. Wonderful. My grandfather wasn't there anymore, but I was given one ticket to have a guest with me. And my husband said immediately, you've got to take your dad. This is the dad who was on his knees as a nine-year-old boy. Uh and, And my dad escorted me to the back of the Republican National Convention stage in Cleveland, Ohio. And he said to me before my speech, your grandfather would be so proud of you if he were here with you today. And that is so touching to know that my grandparents gave me the ability to understand what this country stands for, the freedoms that we have here. Uh, They are unlimited. And I have been able to share that story with my children, and I hope they share it with their children. And that's what our country is all about. We don't have cameras in here. Well, we don't have cameras that are turned on, but if they were, they would see Kimberly Yee's eyes welling up as she tells this story. It's very moving. It's very. How long did the store last? 63 years on the same corner. It really served our South Phoenix community for many years. Oh. And if you, if you know, you know family-run businesses, they know their customers yeah. by name. They know stories generationally in 63 years. Yeah. And so even today when I will go and talk to groups, I'll meet people who came into the store um, buying their groceries for many, many years. And and my grandparents, you know, they knew some of these uh, families didn't have the funds. Yeah that week to pay for their groceries yeah. and they didn't have work sometimes but they knew that they had a family to feed mm-hmm. so they would give them the groceries to, that week to you know provide mm-hmm. and when that family got work they would pay my grandparents back it was an honor system back then and it was also a relationship that you build with your customers and and being a small business you know that's how we run things I want to talk more about small businesses in a little bit, and we'll certainly get to some of your work uh, as as our state treasurer, Kimberly. But you and I shared knowing someone who was, I think, a teacher of yours at Pepperdine. You went off to college at Pepperdine. You studied under or with or got to know Bruce Hershenson, yes. who was just a saintly scholar. Yes. I think was just a bastion in the conservative movement, in the freedom movement. Yes. Died about two or three years ago, maybe. Yes. And uh, tell us about Pepperdine undergrad. Tell us about what Bruce taught you. Well, you know, I was prepared and ready to go in state to school. Great universities here. Um, But there was a time where the Pepperdine University brochure came to my mail. And I remember my mother saying, (laughs) Hard to compete with those vistas, isn't it? I mean, all this blue water (laughs) on the Pacific coast. So I spent, you know, a trip out to Pepperdine. And I went with my father, in fact. And 
we took a look at the campus, and when you drive up to this Malibu campus, there is this cross yeah. that sits at the top of the hill. And it is such a retreat away from the world that I felt a special presence there. And it really was that small school environment. It's a Christian university, and it was one in which I felt right at home, like family. And so when I attended the university those four years of undergraduate I got to know professors, professors just like Bruce, and, and people who really were committed to the values and the character building of those students who were on that campus. Yeah. And that's the difference between a college like Pepperdine University and so many others, because you really have that familial relationship with these types of professors who dedicate their time. But you come out of the university setting with character yeah. and with a... A, a set of values that really you can't get anywhere else. So I was really blessed to be there. Pepperdine, and you must have had some feeling of the wisps and winds of the old Reagan, California and yes. Southern California. You know, I do um, so, uh, uh, regular interviews with the dean of their, pub, their graduate school Pete of public Peterson. policy. You know, I Pete, love Pete. He's great. Yes. And my old boss, Jack Kemp, uh, helped found that school. So we, we get to tell some of those stories. But that Southern California yes. Republican ethos of Reagan and Kemp, and Kemp came from that area, uh, there's something special about that, too, it's isn't It's the old there? school way, yeah. and I don't see that anymore no. in California, unfortunately, right. or anywhere, really. Um, but I, I had the privilege of having that small school class environment where I had a professor my senior year, and he said, you know, Kimberly, I know you're thinking about law school, you're thinking about lots of different things. Why don't you just take a year and do a fellowship opportunity? And so he gave me these applications, one for the executive fellowship program, one for the Senate program, and I applied. And as God always does in the right time, I received an acceptance letter to the executive fellowship program on graduation week. And it allowed me to work for Pete Wilson, the Republican governor of California in the 1990s. Um, again, old school Republican. Uh, he knew how to manage a very uh, moderate type of state, um, one in which you know, they, they could go either way, quite frankly, even back then in the 90s. But what was interesting about that was the opportunity to see how government worked and how it really was a people's government, one in which you could start with an idea and you bring people together, um, not necessarily all of one, you know, a philosophical belief, but you bring people together and you create laws that work for the benefit of the entire state. And that state is unique. It, is, it was the fifth largest economy in the world. And so that led me to, you know, working for a Republican governor. Later, I worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, when he was governor, I was his deputy cabinet secretary, and, and they were in the red. Yep. Remember? Yes, Spent I do. More money than they had. Yep. And that time was really critical for me to take a look at their policies and bring them back into the black from a financial standpoint. Well, I want to talk about what you're doing with them here in Arizona for us uh, when we come back from the break and also kind of some things that people don't know that your office deals with, even some that involve foreign policy. Absolutely. Which I know you've been very committed to as well. Kimberly Yee is my guest. You can follow her on Twitter at Kimberly Yee A-Z. And her website at the treasurer's office. I had it up here a moment ago. Here it is, aztreasury.gov. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Seth Liebson. Delighted to have in studio our state treasurer, Kimberly Yee. And uh, there's so much to talk to you about. Thank you for the autobiography. I want to return to it maybe a little bit later in the show with some questions about uh, what your grandparents may think about things today, but I'll just put that, I'll put a bookmark in that or a pin in that for just a moment. 
talk to the uh, audience a little bit about the treasurer's office. I, I don't know. I, I'll be corrected on this, I'm sure. But I think it's possible, Kimberly, that you may have won more votes than any other Republican elected to office in a contested election in Arizona's history. I think that's possible with your last election. Tell us what you've been up to and what the office is all about. Well, it was truly a pleasure to be reelected again to my second term in 2022. And it was a great campaign because we were able to see the entire state through every single corner, every community we tried to reach. And it was motivating to be able to see the results as they came out on election night uh-huh. because it really did show that we we spoke to groups and our message was meaningful. And we stayed on message. And it was really a disciplined campaign. And I think the results showed that. Um, as I go into my second term, we're continuing to finish um, what we have started in you know 2018 when I was elected for the first term. And when I started... In 2019, January, I took oath of office. We had 15.4 billion in assets under management. Today, we stand at 31 billion, and that is a significant increase in just four years. Almost 100 percent. And yes, and what we have done in this time, we managed the cash flow of approximately 64 billion dollars. It goes to school districts, uh, local governments, uh, state agencies, and we ensure that we make more money on the money. In just those first uh, four years, we had $3 billion, brand new, was not there when I first started, based on excellent investments by our internal investment team. And as the chief banking and investment officer of the state, it's really my responsibility to ensure that we have safe investments, that we are not going crazy, uh, you know, with these types of woke uh, investments uh, that are all over. Thank you. You took on Ben and Jerry's. We did. And that was exactly what I'm talking about. What they were doing, as you know, Ben and Jerry's is a very woke organization, corporation. And in uh, the summer of 2021, they decided to boycott Israel through uh, not having sales of ice cream in the West Bank, Jerusalem, Samaria. And they had had a relationship in that region for over 30 years. But they decided, this is Ben & Jerry's and Unilever is their parent parent company, that they would no longer sell ice cream there. It was a clear boycott. And it was a a violation of Arizona state law that um, is anti-BDS, boycott divestment. And you also were instrumental in getting Absolutely. When I was in the legislature, we passed a law that said we cannot do business with uh, industries, corporations that boycott Israel through these BDS-related movements. So as we received the news about Ben and Jerry's boycotting Israel, and I'm state treasurer, I had voted on that legislation when I was in the legislature, we immediately notified Unilever, which is the parent company of Ben and Jerry's, to give them an ultimatum. I said, you have two options here. One, change your course of action. Go back and sell the ice cream. Or remove your relationship from Ben and Jerry's. Very easy to do. And so they chose not to do anything. So I divested 143 million dollars from Unilever, Ben and Jerry's parent company, down to zero. And that divestment immediately took hold by other states. They said, wow, Arizona started this movement. We're going to follow. Yes. So New Jersey followed, Florida, Texas, New York even followed. And we saw this movement of divesting 
from woke corporations that were not standing with their consumers. And this was a perfect example of that. Um, We were clear in what our stance was, which was we were um, following Arizona's law. It's an anti-BDS law that protects these types of friendly countries. I mean, we are an ally of Israel, a longtime friend and partner. And what this BDS movement was trying to do was cut off the legs of their economy, because once you cut off the economy, you no longer have, you know, a robust uh, country. And that is exactly what we were trying to stop. We stood with Israel. And so as we, um, you know, went down several months, I received the surprise call from Unilever. Mm-hmm. And uh, their, their um, response was, Treasury, would you reinvest with us? Because they had decided to um, change their course of action. And in fact, they sold the subsidiary in that West Bank region to an Israeli-based uh, company mm-hmm. called Red and White. Uh, and, and they were able to go back and sell ice cream. And the boycott ended in that West Bank. Um, I have more recently received uh, you know, news outlets saying, hey, are you reinvesting in Unilever now that all this is done? And I said, I said in my response, you know, it's too bad that they took so long right. to make their decision. But I'm going to put them on a watch list just to be sure that they, they don't continue to go down these um, pathways into wokeism. And, and we saw that with Ben and & Jerry's. And they have a lot of companies under you know their branches. And so we're going to take a close look before we reinvest Arizona's money. You have been. Uh, well, this is a bit in the news, and we'll turn back to some other uh, more local stuff in a moment. You have been a strong supporter of Israel, much in the news these days. You've also worked on investing some in Israel bonds yes. and doing what you can with what you have. Absolutely. And we have to. You know, Air- Israel and Arizona have a longstanding relationship from an economic perspective. But Israel and the United States of America have a long-standing allied relationship. And we have to honor that. We have to make sure that we um, are aware of what is happening to our friends. And in the latest news, as we know, it was horrific. And I immediately called you know, out the terrorist uh, Hamas movement that is putting all of this pressure. Um, it's, it's really an issue that we've got to put um, public officials need to stand strong on. And in that week where we saw this uh, horrible news, I called on my investment team to increase our Israel bond investments. Uh, we already have $15 million in Israel bonds. Um, it's a reliable um, investment that we've had a longstanding relationship in our office. And once we are able to, we're going to put $5 million more in. And, and we are um, on the front lines of many states, you know, who are looking at this investment. We went back to the legislature to be able to invest in Israel bonds because we only do U.S.-based companies, which is the right thing to do. But because Israel has been a longstanding partner and ally, uh, not only to the United States, but Arizona, we have this exception. Um, in Arizona law, it was passed in 2012. I voted for it. And, and that was when we put the first $5 million in. And it's paid off. It certainly has. Kimberly Yee is our guest. She is our state treasurer. You can learn more about her from the state treasury website, aztreasury.gov. You can also follow her on Twitter, X. We call it Twix around here, Kimberly. It's at Kimberly Yee, A-Z. Kimberly is K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-E-Y-E-E. I spell names because Liebson isn't itself self-evident, although, you know, having gotten, would you get a million four hundred thousand votes? Maybe I don't need to do it. <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk about some other initiatives you're doing. Education, actually. You're, uh, you, administer, you administer the um, 529 accounts, yes. right? So we'll talk about that when we come right back. Kim, Kimberly and I will be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delight to have State Treasurer Kimberly Yee in studio with us and talking about all kinds of things, politics, but also the governance and the management of our treasury here in the state of Arizona. Talk to us about the 529s. This is such a great and innovative thing we're doing, and you're, you're, you oversee that too, don't you, Kimberly? I do. The Arizona 529 Education Savings Plan has been around actually for 20-plus years, but it was housed in this tiny little bureaucratic office called the Post-Secondary Education Commission. And to the average family, they're not going to Google Arizona Post-Secondary Education Commission because that's just such a rare office for it to have been housed in. And so when I became treasurer in 2019, I started going to these conferences nationally, and I learned that more than half of the state treasurers around the country manage their 529s. So education savings, uh, you know, with 529s, allow for families to save, put money aside, allow it to gain interest. Let's just say you put $50 aside every month at 6% interest. You've got $20,000 in the bank by the time a, a child is 18 years old. But in the meantime, you're getting tax deductions right. of up to $2,000 per per beneficiary, per child. And that's $4,000 if you're a married couple filing jointly. There's no limit. If you have five kids, it's $2,000 per kid. And what's wonderful about this is that you don't have to be that parent. You could be the grandparent giving this as a gift to your grandchildren. You could be an aunt and uncle who don't have kids that want to provide this for a niece or nephew. And they, too, can get that tax deduction. But what has been so interesting is I actually started this um, as the administrator in October of 2020. So it's been just about three years. And in that short period of time, we have really reached communities that have never even heard about this program, much less even thought about going to college. And it could be college. It could be university. But it could also be higher education, meaning workforce development, right. uh, apprenticeship programs, uh, vocational school. And in that short period of time of just these three years, we've added 32,755 new accounts. And it really is outstanding to see the amount of families um, looking at this as an option. Because if you look at our workforce, there are true shortages Mm -hmm. in Arizona. It's such a growing state, and it's growing so rapidly that we can't keep up with the building. I mean, you saw TSMC is delaying their opening date because they don't have the workers to fill to do the job. And so as we look at young students who are uh, getting their high school education, but they're getting ready to go into the workplace, let's give them that higher education opportunity and equip families to be able to have that savings in the bank so that they can have that one additional training that would prepare them and better equip them for the workforce. And I believe there is really a direct correlation between how we prepare our our families in financial savings to the greater health of the fiscal health of the state of Arizona. And this program is doing exactly that. And I like that you talked about teaching skills too. Yes. there, there, There was this oddly seeming discrimination against that kind of education so too. True. You mentioned vocational, right? Yes. I mean, Even as I was in the legislature, I, I worked very hard on legislation to expand upon workforce development yeah. programs because not every family is going to go to college. Right. And, and we have to acknowledge that and help families so that they can get that skilled mm-hmm. uh, ability, whether it's uh, you know training through a workforce job program to certification, you know, welders are needed for these big corporate buildings that are going up with all these cranes we see across uh, the state. And and so we I created legislation that would allow for alternative pathways to education, meaning if you are 
not necessarily certified as a teacher, but you've had 25, 30 years uh, as a welder. Go in and teach welding to those kids. You probably have more experience than the teacher that, right. that is in the classroom. No, of right. course, get all of your background checks and everything sure. else that create <laughs> uh-huh. a safe environment and have a certified teacher right there with you if you'd like. But we need to provide these alternative pathways to education so that we can equip our students for these workforce training opportunities. Totally agree. And we also need to equip our students to start thinking about money, too, earlier. And this was a short segment. We'll have a longer one coming up after the break because you've been on the forefront of teaching financial literacy, yes, too. Yes, it really has been a platform of my administration. Hugely important. Oh. Let, me, let, me, let me do that on the other side of the okay. break with you. And then I'll to return that and connect that to something that maybe is related to your upbringing here in Arizona as well. Kimberly Yee is our guest. She is our state treasurer. You can follow her on Twitter, X, Twix, at Kimberly Yee. E-A-Z. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Kimberly Yee, our state treasurer, is in studio with us talking about all things uh, Kimberly Yee and all things state treasury and all things related to both what she does and is interested in personally and what she's doing with her office. Kind of a mix of both is also this issue we talked just briefly about it before the break of your commitment to financial literacy as well, yes? Yes. Financial literacy is so important. You know, we don't teach children uh, early on how to manage money. And even you and I were talking during the break, even when we were in school, we had to take it as an elective. And most kids aren't going to take financial literacy as an elective or a business class that would cover this. So early on, I, um, in the legislature, as well as when I became state treasurer, I have put financial literacy as a major issue on my platform. We really do need to go into schools and teach kids how they manage their money. And as I said earlier, it is so important because there is a direct correlation with how families manage their money to the overall fiscal health of the state of Arizona. And we saw that in 2008 when people couldn't pay off their mortgages. And there was a crisis and the state was bankrupt. I mean, it really is an issue that we have to cover. So immediately in 2019, when I became state treasurer, I worked with the legislature and the governor to pass a law that requires high school students to have at least one semester in their econ class that teaches financial education, the basics of managing a budget, you know, understanding how to balance your checkbook, knowing that there are consequences to not paying off your credit card. These are simple things that kids do not know. And so now that's on the law. It's been on the books. We also created a task force for financial literacy that really touches upon not just young children, but especially those who might be senior citizens who had a spouse that managed the checkbook book and now the living spouse just doesn't know where to even begin. We go into senior citizen communities to talk about that. Military families, veterans, as well as vulnerable families. We also created a law that requires those who are in government assistance, welfare, that we don't want them on the rolls forever, and we don't want this to be generational. So we worked with the Department of Economic Security to allow for them to offer financial literacy as a workforce requirement upon that that. person's uh, ability to, to maintain on the rolls. I love that. You also, having been and spent so much time in the legislature, you kind of understand how that works, how it's supposed to work, and um, knowing what um, gubernatorial overreach can mean as well. You've uh, made some news by um, not accepting some of the things that the governor has been trying to force on the legislature, Arizona, and you, huh? Well, Seth, I believe in following the law, and others don't, apparently. (laughs) And so um, I I really did call out the current governor on a situation that is happening. The Senate of Arizona, I was a former member, I was the former Senate Majority Leader, takes 
seriously those confirmations that come before them, meaning so head the state agents exactly. Yeah. So these are appointments of the governor to the state senate to take into consideration and to confirm. When I was in the state senate, I did not always confirm the conferees before me. Yeah, you're not a rubber stamp. And and certainly if there was a conflict of interest, there was not, you know, a qualified person for that agency, maybe they were better qualified for another, I sent those papers back to the appointing authority. And in this case, the governor has not been happy with the state Senate because they have not yet appointed at least 13 confirmations to run as agency directors these various important agencies. Now, You have to take into consideration the Senate is a checks and balance uh, system to the governorship. And so if they don't find that these Senate confirmations are yet good to confirm, it's their prerogative. That's the way the law works. And so as uh, the process has gone, I believe that the current governor has been impatient. And so recently, she decided to pull all 13 confirmation names from the Senate process and name them Deputy Executive directors. Now, this is a, a, is this a, a game. New one to you? It's yeah. a game. Yeah. It's it's a a reality that does not exist yeah. because really these are the same individuals that were in the system, but she's granting them the authority of an agency director without going through the proper process. This is the law. They are completely circumventing Arizona law. And so I call them out on it because they made that decision on a Monday. And All of a sudden, these funny little title names were given to 13 agency directors that would now have the authority as a director without going through confirmation. Now, on a Tuesday, 24 hours later, I am the chair of the Board of Investment for Arizona. And again, $65 billion, you know, uh, underestimating the cash flow. And then we've got all of these assets under management. We just can't have Joe Blow come before us as a voting member of the Board of Investment. So my legal team immediately put a red flag up and said, these are no longer directors of agencies. They could have even have been acting directors. But they were no longer directors at all. There was no definition in Arizona statute for a deputy executive director. So I notified them immediately before the meeting to let them know I cannot uh, acknowledge you as a legal member of the Board of Investment or as a voting member. Now, of course, they didn't answer their phones. So upon the, um, the meeting... I did not recognize them in the roll call. And there were some people who weren't very happy about this decision, but I was following my legal team's advice. It really is a liability, not only for Arizona taxpayers, but what's happening is that you now have people who are not legal um, and they're in these agency directorships making key critical policies that can be, um, you know, um, argued as a consumer. You can basically say with the ruling they just gave me right. is not valid. Right. No one They're void. fake. Yeah. And so so really that is something that I continue to call um, out the governor on. Uh, and we, we've got to follow the law. They keep pushing on this, though, a little bit, don't they? Well, we're, we're seeing lots of patterns of this. Yeah. Um, and we really have to be accountable to the people of Arizona. And so I will continue to do so. I wanted to ask, thank you for that. I wanted to ask you something about your parents and your grandparents and kind of what they would, your grandparents, there was a speech I was listening to last week from a guy, conservative uh, speaker writer named Constantine Kissin, whom you may or may not know of. It doesn't matter if you don't, but he was talking about what our grandparents, if they were alive today, 
would marvel at with the technological advances that uh, would have transpired even since they've passed away. And he was just talking about the dynamism of the American uh, economy, the dynamism of American ingenuity and that sort of thing, even just Western ingenuity. And I was thinking about this, Kimberly, and they would marvel at how far we've come. You think of the Wright brothers to the man on the moon, it's one lifetime. That's mm -hmm. really an amazing thing. But I, I, I was just experimenting, thought experimenting with the audience last week. If our grandparents came back, they'd marvel at that. But what about our ethics and our morals mm -hmm. and the way we behave and live outside of the technological realm? What would think we think of, um, what would they think of that? And I know that you know, given how close and you were to your grandparents, I wonder if on the other side of this break we have an extended moment here. We could take a second to hear from you on what you think your grandparents might say about that, okay. especially given all they thought about with regard to the American dream and the beauty that was America. So we'll have one extra segment with Kimberly You when we come back. We'll end up on a personal philosophical note. Sounds great. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back uh, to the Seth Leapson Show. It's been a delight having Kimberly Yee with us. You, the story of your grandparents, Kimberly, was and parents was just so touching and moving. I just wanted to throw that question to you that I posed right before the last commercial break, which is they'd come back, they'd marvel at the technology. Yes. Was it your grandfather who literally was washing clothes with his yes. hands? Literally. And obviously... No, no. I mean, the technology. But what would they think of our moral condition? I know these are issues that mean a lot to you. What would they think of the culture of America now? You know, it's an old fashioned way that my family was, you know, brought us up. And, and that's just based on honesty and integrity. Because as small business owners, that's what you are known for in order for your customer to come back. And so as I go into the rooms where I speak on public policy and you know, one of the first things I, I share is are these stories about my family because it goes back to the olden days when we actually were basing our principles on honesty and integrity and the person who spoke, you believed in them because that's what they stood for. And one of the things that I um, remember with my grandparents and my grandfather in particular was he would read the daily news, not only in the morning paper. Remember when we had a PM paper oh, yeah, the in the Street, afternoon? Sure. So we would walk to the local uh, neighborhood newsstand mm -hmm. and I was the one who put the change in. That was so fun to do as a little girl. And we would pull out that newspaper to read daily. So the technology that has come so far, immediate technology would be something he would be marvel at, of course. But to go back to that very question of what do we know as people today? Well, I try to remind people all the time. And on my campaign signs to this day, it says honesty and integrity right under my name. Because I hope people will see us for our work and, and they will believe in what we do because they will trust what we do. And, and I think that's something that we need to bring back. Yeah. I mean, with all the uh, access to intelligence and wisdom we can have now at our fingertips, right? I mean, we have more access on a smartphone to wisdom and intelligence than, you know, any ancient library of your Alexandria, you name it. But we're not doing better, right? Yeah. We're, uh, longevity is decreasing. Drug abuse is increasing. Homelessness, I mean, school uh, deficits are increasing. Um, it's suicides. It's it's our moral condition needs some help, and it's not 
just a technologic technology answer, is That's it? That's right. And it comes from the home. Yeah, it comes from the home. Kimberly Yee, thanks for stopping by. My pleasure. This was great. I'm Seth Leibson. Brandon Weikert coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.